Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning. Happy Friday. We are live. It is Soccer Morning the day before. USA-Mexico tomorrow night. That will be the dominant feature of today's show. But man, there's a lot to cover. Big show for you today on the USA-Mexico tip. Our good friend Charlie Bohm from Soccer Wire. MLSsoccer.com and USsoccerplayers.com will join us in a couple of minutes. We'll preview the match with him. We'll get his thoughts on what Mexico might do. How much do we know about what Jurgen Klinsmann plans to do? Lots of questions surrounding this game. I don't know that we've ever had a more unsettled USA-Mexico combination heading into a big match between the two countries outside of a friendly where you get experimentation. So there's a lot to cover there. We will get to all of that. Plus your phone calls on the other side of Charlie's chat. Good stuff coming on a Friday edition of the program. I hope you're ready to go. If you're watching the video, you can see I'm I'm game face is on. I'm rocking the, the, the USA jersey. Now's the bomb pop. Maybe you're not a fan of the bomb pop. Whatever. It's what I got. It's what I like. Here we go. Let's hit the news ahead of Charlie Bohm getting on this program. Let's start with yesterday. Liverpool unveiling Jurgen Klopp. As the club's next manager, three-year deal reportedly. A couple of things, interesting things said by Jurgen Klopp at his introductory press conference. He is charming the pants off of Liverpool fans, off of the English media. This is no surprise. We know what kind of guy Jurgen Klopp is. If there's nothing else about him that makes him an attractive guy to root for, it's the things that he says. He said... Uh, here we go. Uh, on cutting his uh, year-long, this is all uh, all transcribed over at WorldSoccerTalk.com, by the way. On cutting short his year-long sabbatical, I'm back in the race, and it's the biggest honor I can imagine. It is the perfect next step for me to 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 be here to try to help. He says um, he is targeting a four-year plan for a title for Liverpool. I don't want to describe myself. Does anyone in this room think I can do wonders? No, I am a totally normal guy. I am. The normal one. Now, obviously, this is playing off of Jose Mourinho, his introductory press conference at Chelsea a decade ago in which the Portuguese manager said, I am the special one. Uh, Just another thing that's going to endear Jurgen Klopp to the masses there on Merseyside. On how he wants to be thought of. When I left Dortmund, my last sentence was, it is not so important what people think when you come in. It is much more important what they think when you leave. Uh, lots of, uh, I mean, uh, some of the, some amazing quotes here on his message to the players and fans. You have to change from doubters to believers. We have to start anew and see what happens this year. On his squad, this is a great club with big potential. Fat, fast players, strong players, good defenders. Everything is there. Four or five strikers you can work with when they are not injured. Midfielders, defenders are experienced and young. Goalkeeper is really good. He has paid his due respects to Liverpool and its history. Of course it is surreal. I have to accept it. I woke up this morning and I was manager of Liverpool FC. I am prepared, but of course this is absolutely crazy what has happened. This guy is, uh, is seems to be a normal guy who just happens to be a very excellent football manager and uh, a perfect fit. Is that the way to say it here? A perfect fit for Liverpool FC. I don't know how else you could assess it at this point. Now, there is a lot of work to be done, as he said, but if there's anybody uh, you can count on to put the work in and not make it about himself, it's going to be Jurgen Klopp. Does not guarantee success, and yes, there's a bit of overhyping happening here, but that's natural in the modern world, 
Uh, all things look uh, all things look good for Liverpool right now, save of course retooling the squad to play Jurgen Klopp style of, of of soccer, and that will come. European and South American qualifiers, European Championships, World Cup qualifiers in South America, throwing up some very interesting results on Thursday night. Brazil starts with a two nothing loss to Chile, without Neymar, of course, and a messy less Argentina loses at home two to nothing against Ecuador. Sergio Aguero hurt in that game, potentially out for a long period of time. Uh, reports that it may even be a torn hamstring muscle. This is the first time in Comable history that Brazil and Argentina have lost on the same day. I saw another stat yesterday. Don't quote me on this. Um, I, I'll have to verify it. But it said something like no team has qualified for the World Cup when losing their opening qualifier at home. Of course, that applies to Argentina. Wow. Ireland shocking Germany in European qualifiers. one nothing on the back of a Shane Long goal. Just a, a long ball out of the back from the goalkeeper. Shane Long latches on, hits a great shot uh, to, uh, to, beat, uh, to beat the German keeper. And, of course, Ireland with a famous victory at home over the defending world champions. Scotland has been eliminated. That's not necessarily a surprise. They, uh, they draw with Poland 2-2. Robert Lewandowski on fire at the moment. Helps in the comeback for the Poles. European qualifiers today. Nothing of real note couple of games, Spain, Luxembourg, you expect the Spanish to walk. England, Estonia, same thing. Slovenia, Lithuania, really, it is slim pickings today when it comes to those European qualifiers. Uh, so more reason for you to just get yourself ready for tomorrow. Sepp Blatter has appealed his 90-day FIFA suspension. He's lodged his appeal uh, with the FIFA Ethics Committee. Uh, Klaus Stolker, Blatter's friend and advisor, told the Press Association a sport he has appealed already to FIFA's appeal committee. He is defending his position, and he is sure he will be found not guilty. Now, of course, this 90-day ban comes because of the investigation taking place into a $2 million payment given to Michel Platini nearly a decade after a contract to do work on behalf of FIFA for the Frenchman. Meanwhile, Platini also has said he will appeal his own ban. He has vowed that. And uh, the UEFA president has retained the backing of the French Football Federation president, Noël Legrette. Uh, whether or not Platini is still a candidate for FIFA president come February when that special election is held to replace that bladder, no one seems to know at the moment. Uh, just be aware, everybody's going to appeal. In fact, saw this morning uh, that uh, the South Korean Chung is appealing his six-year ban as well. That goes before the FIFA Ethics Committee and then potentially for all of these guys uh, to the court for arbitration of sport. Lionel Messi and his father are facing tax evasion uh, charges in Spain. There is a trial planned. A Spanish court ruled on Thursday that Lionel Messi and his father Jorge will stand trial for uh, defrauding the Spanish tax authorities of more than $5 million. Despite prosecutors requesting charges be dropped, the judge has ruled that, quote, rational signs that the criminality was committed by both accused parties justified holding the case for trial. No trial date has been set, and attorneys representing Spanish uh, tax authorities uh, have said they will seek a 22-month jail sentence for both Messi and and his father. Now, I have faith that this will resolve itself in some manner. There will be a settlement. Something will happen. And Messi's not going to jail. But it certainly does not look good. And certainly does not look good for the image of Lionel Messi, who has had numerous missteps over the last couple of years 
uh, in regards to his charity, uh, his charity games, in, in tax uh, cases like this, his father perhaps uh, circumventing some, uh, some rules and regulations in Spain to keep some of that money. As I mentioned, tomorrow night, Pasadena, California, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, USA-Mexico, the first ever CONCACAF Cup with a Confederations Cup berth on the line. Sellout crowd of 93,000 expected at the Rose Bowl. Mexican interim head coach Tuca Ferretti faces a selection challenge. Injuries throughout the squad. Numerous attacking options. Is Rafa Marquez healthy enough to play uh, the center of a five-man back line? We'll see. The American back line has been a mess for a couple of years, and that's the challenge facing Jurgen Klinsmann. Tinkering ahead of this game for uh, for a long time now leaves a lot of questions as to what Klinsman will do with his back line and then moving forward throughout his formation. We'll get all of into all of this with Charlie Bohm in just a second. In fact, let's go ahead and do that now. We'll step aside. We'll get our friend Charlie on the line. We'll talk USA Mexico. Are you pumped? You ready? Okay, let's go. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on Soccer Morning. We have gotten our friend Charlie Bohm from MLSsoccer.com and SoccerWire.com and USSoccerPlayers.com on the line. Charlie, that, that song, that's got a little bit of a psych-up feel to it, that Muse song there that I just uh, brought us in with. Were you a, were you a psych-up music kind of guy? Uh... During my own limited career, yes, for the for the most part, yes. What, what was your what was your your because you know I I actually didn't play soccer after the age of twelve, so there wasn't a lot of music <laughs> in my pregame ritual for soccer. But you know I played other high school sports, and there was always like groups of guys in the locker room. Some listening to this kind of music, some listening to. The, I know you had some some Caribbean excursions, so maybe it was uh, that flavor. What was your what was your music? Yeah, I mean, well. You know, it was it was important to be up tempo for the most of the crap levels I played at. You know, because it was uh, <laughs> it, it was a a, a uh, helter skelter sort of style between college and uh, and high school and so forth. But uh, yeah, actually, um, uh, being in an eighteen passenger minivan with a uh, a bunch of teammates crammed in there, uh, rolling through island roads uh, on the way to a game somewhere, 
in Grenada, um, there would be a lot of dance hall. Yeah, that was go. pretty good. All right, good that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get so, yeah. The, you get that rhythm going. You get the blood pumping. I know, you know, like some people like heavy metal. That's that's obviously like, uh, you know, lots of of vigor in it. Um, well, I don't know what the U.S. men's national team is listening to. I don't know what the Mexican national team are listening to. We don't know what they're going to look like tomorrow night. I, I think the place to start with this game is simply the the. Just the uncertainty of of what we're going to see in terms of of lineups and formations from both sides. Yeah, it's there's a lot of I think known unknowns you might say in in this game, which is a it's a fascinating situation. You have two coaches in really sort of diametric situations for this match. Uh, we have Jurgen Klinsmann, who is um, despite a, you know sort of growing tide of frustration with him among the fans. Um, he's he's secure in his post. He's not judged on one game or one tournament or even one year. I, I think at this point. Um, and on the other side, Tuca Ferretti is um, certainly going to feel pressure. But he's a he's a um, an interim coach. He has been from the get go by his own design as much as anyone else's. And his job is to get a result and then hand the reins over to Juan Carlos Osorio, who is um, making his move north from Brazil. A Colombian with MLS uh, background, who's uh, who's going to be taking over the the L Tree program after this. So, really interesting situation in that regard, and um, and in in the sense also that so Ferretti is is a short term coach. He's not probably not going to uh, have time or, or inclination to make big changes to his squad and, and their shape and their approach. While Klinsman, um, well, who knows? I mean, there's there. I I, I think we're probably going to see a four four two tomorrow or some derivation. And you can you can you can write in with Penn certain players on the roster, but um, you know the starting eleven is probably going to have at least one wrinkle to it that we're not not expecting. Well, let's okay. Let's start with from the American side of things. Let's start with the back line because Klinsman hasn't. I, I think the the stat is he hasn't played the same back line for about two years now uh, in any match, uh, you know, consecutive matches, and that obviously leads into. A lot of questions about whether they're ready to handle a stage like this against a team like Mexico that is notoriously good at breaking down. Well, they haven't been in recent times, but they, their ability to play the ball on the ground is obviously going to tax American defensive movement and organization. I, I, you know, I'm looking at Matt Doyle's, and that's a good as guess as any. He's, he's a smart guy. Fabian Johnson, Jeff Cameron, Matt Beasley, Dorcas Beasley. And that sounds okay, but is that really, does that give you a lot of confidence? Well, that's the thing is, you know, Jurgen's confidence and, and the nature of the way he, he expresses it is different from, from maybe a typical fan or, or a more predictable coach. Um, he, he's really tried to make John Brooks and Ventura Alvarado his sort of pairing of the present slash pairing of the future um, this year, even with some really uneven performances from, from those two. He doesn't have the choice with Brooks. He has to bring someone new in there, but is, is Alvarado – Still, sort of a, a locked-on guy that he he really trusts. He said nice things about him this week, even though he's not getting regular minutes at Club America of late. Um, and then you have a couple guys with World Cup experience who who are you know certainly in the mix. Um, you, you know, there's a lot of options for him at center back, but it's still unclear what he's going to do. And and I think the whole um, conversation about comfort zones and um, you know and 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 challenging players. Now we, we sort of with so much of that ringing in our ears, we don't really know what what he's going to do in this situation. You know, he could pick a, a World Cup pairing. You know, guys that have played together in big games like this, 
or he could mix and match here. And he's been so uh, prone to experimentation for months now, for really more than a year, that uh, we're, we're still left to guess at this point. Okay, so let's, um, you know, while admitting that there is some uncertainty as to what uh, Tuco Ferretti will do with his front line, let's just consider what the, st- the strengths of the Mexican side, and because I think, you know, the logical thing is to expect a coach in a one-off game where you have to win to play a combination of defenders who are most adept at defending this the the other the other team's strength. You play you want to to minimize Mexico's strengths. Does is there a combination that does that? I mean, I understand why Alvarado gets gets a look. I mean, he's certainly better with the ball than most of the center backs the United States has. We know Klinsman values that, but. You know, uh, is there going to be um, a question of Mexico playing from wide positions and trying to put in crosses for Ariba Peralta, and now you need somebody to, to win the ball in the air? I mean, the, is there something there? Well, what's fascinating, too, here is that the U.S. is generally perceived to be at a low ebb right now with the Gold Cup sort of catastrophe and then some some uneven performances since then. And uh, and yet Mexico's whole system could could hinge on whether a 36 year old defender is right. fully fit to play. Rafa Marquez remains a linchpin of this team, someone whose career is uh, also, as Matt Doyle pointed out, as long as MLS has been in existence. You know, Rafa's been around forever, and yet he still, if he's healthy, he'll go tomorrow and he'll be probably at the heart of a five three two system that's a holdover from. Um, from Piojo uh, Herrera, uh, Ferretti's predecessor. Um, so, you know, if, if they don't have Marquez, if they decide that Marquez can't start, then they may be looking at a whole uh, different formation and a whole different setup. The, a, a lot of analysis suggests that a four-four-two would be the alternative, which would significantly change the balance, the angles, the combinations that Mexico would, would be accustomed to. So, I think Ferretti's going to turn to to Marquez if he possibly can, just because he's not a gambler. He wants to try and uh, keep this team playing the the way they've played well uh, in a 5-3-2. You know, they they went toe-to-toe with Argentina uh, earlier this fall. They were quite good in that sense. It's it's a system they're all familiar with. So, um, you know, and then if we look further ahead, they have a sort of they're spoiled for choice up top in a way that that US fans should be envious of. Um, you know, Oribe Peralta, who's who's not a fan favorite for El Tri, but is is someone that I think uh, Tuca trusts, um, a, a big guy that Javier Chicharito Hernandez can run off of. Um, that may be a strike pairing. That's a, that's the talk we're hearing in some quarters. Um, but he's also got guys like Tecatito, Corona, um, and there's just a range of options. You know, for for Ferretti, the rumor, hot rumor yesterday was. Uh, I think it was ESPN's um, John Sutcliffe was reporting that there would be a 4-3-3 formation for Mexico with Rafa actually playing as a uh, a number six, playing as a holding midfielder, uh, which would be a very attacking-oriented shape. It would, it would definitely create the possibility for a lot of goals, um, but it leaves gaps in the back that could easily be exploited. And, and you, know, you have to, I think in this rivalry, you have to remember the, the dominant history of late is is the U.S. winning uh, these games almost no matter what the circumstances are coming in. Uh, they won earlier this year in San Antonio. Jurgen Klinsmann remains undefeated against Mexico um, as a coach and then going back further as a player with Germany. So um, th- there's there's so many fascinating uh, inputs here that it's it really is hard to, to know what we're going to see on the field and then how the game's going to play out. The, the challenge, I think, for Mexico is – Prove that your your superior form, your superior talent pool, uh, is it actually means something in this game because it hasn't for for more than a decade now. 
and, you know, they, it's on them, I think, to seize the initiative to change the narrative of this game right from the opening whistle. It just it seems that, uh, you know, again, uh, putting putting into play everything that's uh, uncertain for the U.S. and, and some of the, a lot of that's, you know, created by Klinsman, but also by uh, some questionable, uh, questionable performances and guys not rising to, to the necessary level. But it's not really the stage for Mexico to make that statement. I mean, they're not, again, they're, they're no continuity coming into this match uh, because of the, the coaching change. I guess if, if well, again, not knowing what Mexico is going to do and you identify potential 4-3-3 per John Sutcliffe, if that's Rafa Marquez as a six in a 4-3-3, then what, what do the Americans have that exploits um, you know, those spaces, as you mentioned, that space uh, right there in front of that back line? Yeah, and you know, I should also point out there's you know Sutcliffe is a great journalist, but there there are those who question this just based on personality. You know, um, Piojo was the type of guy that would um, not only release, he would tweet out his starting eleven sometimes a, a day or more before kickoff. Whereas Ferretti's a little bit more of a uh, a canny um, games and chip type guy who do, who keeps his cards close to his chest. So the idea is also circulating that this whole thing is a calculated leak uh, for you know disinformation purposes. If they do somehow come out in that 4-3-3, which I would be su- still somewhat surprised by, I think you know forcing Rafa to cover significant amounts of ground um, behind a bunch of attacking players is going to leave spaces that guys like, I think, Dempsey and, um, and Altidore and Bradley can, can exploit. If you leave that zone 14 open or if you, if you pile the responsibilities of defensive cover on a 36-year-old's legs, you're certainly asking for, uh, to get countered on. You're asking to, um, to give up chances, and, and, and you're forcing your two center backs to probably make some tough decisions. And guys like Dempsey are very good at floating into that space um, into the hole there and, and maybe combining and, and forcing those defenders to make bad decisions. So I think, um, again, ideally Mexico is going to want uh, that 5-3-2 because they've been so defensively stable from there, and that allows them to play to the strengths uh, out, out wide. You know, If we see that, that formation with guys like Leyun um, rampaging forward, getting involved in the attack on the overlap, I think that's a tough matchup for the U.S. because we, we expect them generally to play a, a – uh, is sort of a narrowish four four two. That's been Klinsman's favorite formation of the past year, and that forces guys to float wide. It, it requires good communication um, between fullbacks and midfielders who, who may or may not have that level of fluency yeah. and understanding right at the moment. The four four two that Klinsman has has deployed before, especially without. Alejandro Bedoya potentially uh, missing out. I think uh, there's a word that... Uh, yeah, yeah, he's missed training with illness this okay, week. So uh, I think mi- maybe two trainings at this point. Yeah, and and, and even... Okay, so you, potentially Jossie's artist in the, in the midfield, I think we might all expect to see that. There is always the potential that a surprise like DeAndre Yedlin could be in there. Uh, but it's... It, when you say narrowish, just just break that out for me because it seems to me that it is, uh, and I'm not the tactics guru, but it, as much as it might be narrowish, it's also unbalanced, especially if Jermaine Jones is playing one of those quote unquote wider positions. Right, and I think that was the main reason we saw Klinsman experiment with it in the lead up to last summer's World Cup. With Jermaine Jones, you have this wild card who is a a defensive mid or a number eight, a box to box by trade. But his nature is to is to run everywhere that he sees fit and to cover ground and wreak havoc and try and make plays, um, and that forces those around him to compensate a little bit. There's positives and negatives to it. So if we see Jermaine, for example, he's played kind of a pinched left-sided role um, designed to give him that freedom. Uh, Demarcus Beasley is smart enough and is trusted to be able to cover that 
spot for him to help him on the overlap as needed. And then, but of course, U.S. teams traditionally are are not the type of teams that are going to use the the diamond the way, for example, Real Salt Lake did to keep possession to build uh, to make the opponents chase. They still are going to need widths from somewhere. So we'll be looking at Fabian Johnson. Um, coming wide is from the fullback spot, most likely. Uh, Giassi Zardes, I think, I expect will be given a, a start probably uh, at right midfield if Jermaine's on the left. So they're gonna, those two guys are going to be expected to stretch the play more to the right. So kind of a skinny diamond or, or lopsided mm-hmm. shape that you know you hope you're you're hiding your deficiencies and and accentuating your your attributes that way. And we all might also see Yedlin. Yedlin's a long shot, I think, to start, but he sure. could well start. He started the last couple of games for them, I think, and um, and certainly I think he'll be one of uh, Jurgen's top options off the bench to bring width and verticality uh, out there on the right. Now that's that's mostly that's going forward. Um, uh, again, I mean, uh, John, uh, Demarcus Beasley, Fabian Johnson having a role to play in the attack, creating those uh, uh, creating, creating those overloads, giving um, options to certainly to, to Bradley, who's going to be asked again uh, to be a, a distributor and a creator. But defensively, um, and again, not knowing what Mexico is going to do, finding it unlikely they're going to play a four-three-three. Uh, where where is the you know where is the support again, especially with a back line who has not played together because no American back line has played together. Yeah. So then, if you're going to play Jermaine in, in a um, in kind of a go anywhere role, that requires um, someone to cover for him. It seems like Kyle Beckerman would be the most likely guy. The one who has the most big game experience to play that out and out six holding role. The question is, you know, is, is Beckerman still the best option there? I think if you use Klinsman's criteria in other regards, then you would see someone like Danny Williams, who's mm-hmm. who's playing at a higher level, who's excelling uh, in the English second division. Uh, you know, and again, we have this balance here between Klinsman has consistently been, you know, sort of publicly warning his older players, of which Beckerman is one. That this could be their last call up. This could be their last big game. Uh, the generational shift is coming. So, is he ready to do that now? I don't. I don't think he's ready to do that across the field. But there may be one or two places where he de- he decides it's time to turn the page, and that defensive midfield role may certainly be one of them. Um, I, I personally think that that um, playing two defensive mids with you know Michael Bradley in one of those deeper roles and allowing him to dictate from deep and pick his moments to get forward. I think that's where this team is most effective in more of a 4-2-3-1 type shape. But Jurgen has clearly decided that, that Michael Bradley's his best role in advanced midfield, and so uh, I think we'll see him there. The question is just giving Bradley the, the backing to be able to, to move around as he sees fit and to dictate and, and influence the game. The, the difference between uh, you know just the, the skill sets um, between um, Kyle Beckerman and Danny Williams. Beckerman, a better passer, probably a better decision maker. Certainly he's... Uh, He's he's great with a tactical foul. If you need one, he can uh, he can hold the ball. I mean, the, the, maybe the best no, the best six at, at holding the ball still in the American system. I mean, that's why he's had a, a such a long run under Klinsman. Whereas Danny Williams is going to give you what more more ground cover, more ability to to uh, to track back if necessary if Mexico gets on a break. Yeah, again, it's a it's a sort of a fundamental um, conflict, or maybe just a, a dualism of of the Klinsman era is uh, we talk about playing more intelligently and letting the ball do the work and, and that sort of thing, and yet athleticism remains a, a huge focus, um, and with some justification, you know, given the, the challenges of the international level. 
But uh, Landon Donovan, for example, said that the, the U.S. has done best against Mexico when it dictates the tempo, when it forces Mexico to play at a higher pace, uh, when it doesn't allow for that sort of deliberate buildup. Uh, and yet, um, if, if they do pick that higher pace, then that puts challenges on Beckerman. Beckerman is not the athlete that Danny Williams is. And we see when games turn into track meets, that often doesn't play to Beckerman's strength. Um, you know, it'll force him maybe out of his comfort zone. I think he can do it if he plays one and two touch and has good numbers around him to, to help keep the ball. But, um, but Williams is someone who can, can run a bit more, who can make up for the mistakes of others with his legs, uh, whereas Beckerman has to do it with his brain. So um, two different attributes there. Um, the experience, I think, really counts too. Williams is still relatively inexperienced at the international level. But, uh, if, again, if the Mexicans get numbers into the danger zones in and around the U.S. box, um, that's going to be tough for, for someone like Beckerman. And, and he's shown in the past that, um, that it challenges him in, in a way that forces him into you know, silly fouls and giving up uh, poorly placed free kicks. So a uh, lot of, uh, I think, an important decision there for Klinsman and one that uh, we still just aren't quite sure uh, what his thinking is. All right, barring a, a scoreless, goalless draw that goes into extra time and into penalties, they need to score to win, Charlie. And, um, you know, you talked, we talked a little bit already about Clint Dempsey, maybe Josie Altidore, um, Michael Bradley exploiting some space if Mexico goes with a, a surprising attacking lineup. Uh, but regardless of how Mexico plays, the United States is going to have to pick some guys who can put the ball in the net. Lots of questions about Josie. Lots of questions about I, I get asked and called about his uh, his work ethic and his uh, his effort all the time. Charlie, give me an assessment of that first, and then we'll sort of talk about the combinations possible and whether or not we might see a surprise. And if not, then who's coming off the bench to to give that invigoration if need be? Yeah, well, you know, Josie's uh, probably uh, for a program that has a, a history of uh, talented enigmas. He's he's maybe the most prominent one that's in the in the the squad at the moment. Um, his talent is undoubted. His um, his scoring rate, even in what he himself acknowledges, is a, a little bit of a down year and a down time for him. He's still banging in the goals at a, a, a quality rate for Toronto FC. He's still maybe the most uh, gifted striker on paper in the national team pool. Um, and yet, you know, we're we're never quite sure of late, at least, what we're going to get from him. And certainly, he's had he's had health issues. His hamstrings have been very problematic for him for a couple of years now. Um, and then he, he spoke in general terms with, uh, I think it was Jeff Carlisle of ESPN FC, about personal problems, stuff off the field that's, that's affected his game for the last few months or, or, or longer. So um, I think Josie probably becomes a stalking horse when we talk about him in the media or when fans analyze him. He, he becomes something um, more than just a one player. Um, he's a little bit of a litmus test, I think, for certain people about what they think of the program, what they think of the team, and the you know the nature of American players. It's often hard to tell where his head is at, but when he is um, made at the you know put at the center of things with the national team, when he's supported well by his teammates, when he gets service, he's productive. And I don't think that this team, as much as we like, might like for to, for Jurgen to be more daring in this respect um, to try some new guys. Some of the guys that are, that are uh, scoring overseas that, that that look like they bring similar tools but are younger and and have less baggage. Uh, I still think we're going to see Josie in the eleven, and the question becomes um, who delivers him the ball? Uh, can he and Bradley strike up? You know the the, the well honed under, understanding they have. Uh, so it, it, again, it's a yet another sort of known unknown here. But um, but you know I, I think Josie's 
track record and his mindset is such that he'll be ready to step up in a big game like this. But a, a striker in his position, you know, needs his teammates to really to really shine and really grab this game. Uh, Dempsey's going to start. Uh, that's a that's a given. Probably Josie's going to start. Ninety nine percent sure of that. And, and therefore, it's it's on these guys again. You, you mentioned the the Klinsman sort of setting the stage um, for some of the older guys to to be to to move on and for a new a new generation to come in. It, it, moving beyond this game, win, win or lose, do you think that Klinsman? Because we know Klinsman's going to have his job. Do you think that that Klinsman is using this as a uh, as a marker and that, that we will see a transformation. I mean, they go into World Cup qualifying. Well, there is a game next week, but they go into World Cup qualifying shortly, and yet the group is not uh, what you would call it ultimately challenging, um, even with TNT in there. And he has maybe has some freedom to, to, to really refresh things. Is, is that what you expect? Well, I think, I think Klinsman was, was being honest, and he was speaking frankly there. But the, the the problem is he's been saying that for more than a year now. He's been saying it for for a couple of years, uh, and yet he continues to even after eighteen months or so of experimentation and um, mixing up squads, mi- trying new rosters or new formations. You know, he's he's tried all these different things to refresh the player pool and and turn the page uh, on the previous generation. But the previous generation are still getting called in. They're still the dependable ones, um, and so. You know, we may hear more of this. We could hear this for months to come, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that players aren't going to get called in. Uh, sort of, you know, the, he does have a track record, maybe of of uh, there's one or two high profile surprise call ups or surprise snubs in his rosters. So going forward, you know, he may try to make an example out of someone. He may see a place where it's you know it's a good time to uh, to bring in someone new. But he feels, uh, I think he, he gives the impression of a coach who, who feels limited and constrained by his talent pool. Um, he he's sort of has this, I think, complex um, algorithm that he's navigating by feel between uh, MLS players who are playing regularly at, a, at what he considers a lower level and what many would say is a lower level compared to Europeans who are getting you know, limited minutes and fighting for, for, for spots. Um, you know, I've been told by U.S. soccer officials that that there is a balance to there that that some players come in physically ready to to meet the challenges of of uh, national team duty and um, a bench role in Europe may make you more physically ready than than a, even an everyday starter in MLS. So uh, I think he's got he's got to balance those things out and uh, maybe if this uh, Olympic team these U twenty threes that are doing pretty well right now in qualifying and if they if they get the job done and let's not re- forget. That's another U.S. Mexico match we may have coming up on Saturdays in Olympic qualifying, um, just a few hours before the big Concacaf Cup game. If some of those guys uh, impress Klinsman enough, um, that you know we may see them called in further down the road. But I don't think there's going to be any one landmark moment where the roster suddenly changes or, or the approach suddenly changes because that's that, that actually hasn't been Klinsman's. Um, Tradition based on his actions more so than his words. So. Okay, yeah, the, you know, the, the USU 23s, by the way, play Honduras uh, tomorrow uh, in the semifinals of, of that. If they win, if they beat Honduras, they're in the Olympics, but then they would, might, uh, they, they would very likely have a, a final in that tournament against Mexico uh, coming up next week. Um, fitness, Charlie, uh, you, you hit on it, and, and, and my, uh, my brow furrows a bit because. U.S. soccer officials behind the scenes, and we certainly know Klinsman puts a, a lot of emphasis on fitness and talking about whether or not a bench guy in Europe is more ready than a guy who plays every day. And, 
this has not been that big of an issue before for MLS players. Why is it an issue now? And again, this is a guy who has a reputation or is, has earned a reputation for driving his players maybe a little too hard in, in, in camps and then leading into games, they, they, they show signs of fatigue. It's a very subjective thing, but it certainly looks like they're tired in, in games where they shouldn't be. It's true. It's a it's a yet another sort of strange, um, <laughs> a little bit of irony or or, or uh, oxymoron um, in, in his time in the in the with the team. I, I think that again, it, it, the the rhetoric doesn't always match up to the actions, and some of that is by choice. You know, uh, folks have made a good point in print this week about how Klinsman comes from a country where the tradition is not necessarily to to say what you're thinking uh, when you have microphones in front of you. You know, maybe there, there's mind games going on here where he's projecting, he's communicating with his players, he's um, he's trying to create disinformation, um, even when speaking and presenting a sort of this um, uh, informative, educational, um, uh, technical director side of him, where he, he's he called 2015 the year of education and, and that sort of thing, right? And uh, I, I think we can't, we have to just stop taking his words at face value. Um, simply because history has shown that that's that's not the right approach. Um, if this team were ha- had shown a genuine commitment to a, a, a you know to a high press to a high tempo sort of style, um, then the fitness talk would make more sense. You know, I think he's if he was if if he was had kind of gone a little bit further and backed up his own talk about proactivity and um, seizing the control of matches, uh, then we then I, I you know it would make a little more sense. To see this, you know, um, Peter Vermees at Sporting KC talks about sporting fit. His players need months to adapt to a whole different definition of fitness because they're trying to get into the uh, other team's half and force force turnovers and create havoc by high pressing. You know, Jurgen Klopp, who just got a, a you know unveiled as a new Liverpool manager, his definition of fitness is fundamentally different because if he if he continues his gegenpressing pressing style that we saw at Dortmund. That's going to require new levels of effort and commitment uh, and fitness from his Liverpool players. With Klinsman, it's he's been he's pra- he's been a pragmatist when it comes down to it. Uh, in must-win games like this one we have coming up tomorrow, he he doesn't fundamentally change uh, the structure uh, or the intent of his team. And and U.S. Mexico games almost always play out this way. The U.S. defends and and, and breaks often to good effect, while Mexico possesses and probes and and tries to break down a, a, a packed defense. Um, so again, I, I, I've got to see more action in terms of you know what this whole focus on fitness really means. So again, maybe he's trying to do things and he's running up against walls that um, that are you know that he cannot do too much about. But at some point here, I think even his supporters are are eager to see a, a fundamentally different style that he picks and sticks with and moves forward with and picks players. Uh, that that fit it ideally. Right now, he's trying to pick the best players he he can, and he's still left sort of fundamentally adapting to what he has rather than imposing what he wants. All right. Uh, so let's uh, very quickly just to s- sort of sketch out what we what we think or uh, the best guess we can make about tomorrow. Uh, do you, uh, you know, again, uh, und- uh, it's unlikely that a guy like Tuca Ferretti comes out with some freewheeling, super attacking uh, formation and, 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 and uh, tactical plan like, like maybe a, a Piojo would do. And we know Klinsman is unpredictable, but do you think this game is more likely to be an open game, say, you know, like that 2011 final that everybody points to, Bob Bradley's last game in charge? Or are we going to see sort of a slugfest that ends up being, um, even if it's 2-1, maybe set pieces, maybe penalties? 
Oh, I, well, the, the 2011 game you referenced was um, uh, ended pretty brutally from an, a, a U.S. standpoint. So I don't think they want that. I think actually Jurgen will do anything within his power to prevent it from turning into a, a, an end-to-end sort of sort of a game because that really suits the Mexicans and and uh, the U.S. is a team that wants to control. Um, where and how this game is played, they they want to be able to lure lure in El Tri and then uh, and then expose gaps uh, when they when they get forward, you know especially if it's a if it's a partisan pro Mexican crowd as most people expect, despite Concacaf's um, ticketing policies, uh, they're going to be urged on by their fans and and there's a, uh, a an energy that comes from that that's very positive for Mexico, but it can also be dangerous for them because they can they can be reckless, they can commit uh, overcommit numbers into the attack. Um, so I think the U.S. wants that to happen. They want this game to play out very similarly to how previous um, you know rivalry games in this in this series have gone. Uh, so I think you're you're asking for trouble and you're asking for your team to do something that that fundamentally doesn't play to their strengths. If you try and go toe to toe and get into a slugfest uh, with with one wave of attacks after another, I think I think the U.S. is going to grind this one. They're going to try and impose physicality and, and domination in, in midfield with guys like Jones and probably Bradley, you know, getting stuck in, uh, trying to win balls and, and, uh, and set a tone early. Um, and, of course, we know refereeing is going to play a big role in that as well. Um, I think it's Joel Aguilar, uh, experienced CONCACAF referee, I think is the guy in the middle for this one. Uh, much will depend on him. He's, he's handled these U.S.-Mexico games in the past. He's often been a little bit lenient in terms of cautions and bookings and that sort of thing. So um, if he decides to crack down on this one or if he doesn't like what he sees uh, and he starts handing out cards, that, that could change this game as well quite quite easily. And I'm sure that we'll have at least one or two contentious uh, decisions or non-decisions in the, in the penalty boxes as well. I'm glad, we, I'm glad we've done 20 minutes on what to expect, what, to, what we might see, what the formations might be, even with all of this uncertainty. Because so much of this week has been dominated by what Landon Donovan said and the very question, Charlie, of whether or not Jurgen Klinsmann's job should be on the line based on, on this game. Do you have an op- opinion on that or do you have some thoughts on, first of all, Landon Donovan's role as uh, a provocateur these days and, and again, the, the very notion of Klinsmann and his job security? Well, whether he did it meant to or not, uh, Klinsmann's public statements um, have had this amazing effect of sort of um, – polarizing um, his viewership and the fan base um, because he said the right things at the right times about everything from the youth system to uh, promotion relegation to Europe versus MLS. Um, he has, with, with just a few smart words or, or, or um, um, provocative words here and there, he's drawn really dedicated support, um, in some cases um, un- unquestioned support from big chunks of the, the fan base who see things in meta terms and aren't that interested in, in you know, game-by-game game results, uh, whereas the, the people who are paying more attention to the matches themselves that want to see something closer to, to full fluidity and, and full performance relative to potential from the current team, I think are more likely to be frustrated because um, all of the, the fiddling and the, the tinkering um, hasn't really amounted to much since the World Cup. So, um, so it's very difficult to have a, a straightforward discussion about Jurgen Klinsmann. But, but look, he's not he's not going to get fired on on the basis of this result or any one result. I don't think between now and 2017, 2018, it would take a truly disastrous um, run of bad results in, in qualification. Something that that legitimately 
endangers the U.S.'s place at Russia 2018. Yeah. I think for, for Sunil Gulati to even consider going back on his steadfast, vocal, consistent support of Jürgen. He's brought in Jürgen to be a, a number of things, and, and that's probably kind of part of the problem is we're not really sure how to evaluate him. But what matters the most is Sunil Gulati's opinion and, and, uh, and Dan Flynn's opinion, the, the two guys that run U.S. soccer. And they're, they're nowhere near the same mindset as, as the, the sections of the fan base that, are, that have turned against Klinsman. So um, I think you know, Landon's remarks are the sort of thing that, that um, get us tittering, but they really shouldn't because in mature soccer nations, as Hercules Gomez pointed out, this is perfectly normal for players to uh, – ex-players – you know, along with pundits and journalists and fans to express their opinion and point things out here. It, it should be, I think we should be in a little more pr- pressure-packed environment. That in and of itself is what Jurgen has asked us to do, is to be more questioning, to raise our expectations, to be more demanding. So, um, you know, and, and, and I, I, I think that's great on, on Klinsman's part, even if it sets him up to be a victim of his own messaging. Um, but again, I think we're far from that point. This game is important. It's a huge game as a rivalry game. Every, both teams have decided that, Con- uh, that a Confederations Cup matters a great deal, so therefore it does. And, uh, you know, but but this, this result isn't going to put Klinsman out by any means. I think we're, we're months or years away from any concept of a true hot seat. For yeah, you know, just to, to put a timeline on what you're saying, he's not going to get fired because of this result uh, if they lose. Um, they've got uh, fourth-round qualifying with Trinidad and Tobago, St. Vincent and the Grenadines and Guatemala in their group, unless they fall apart in a manner that no U.S. team has ever fallen apart, even under Jurgen Klinsmann, they're, they're going to be fine. That means he's unlikely to face any real, pre- real pressure until the hex, and even then, it's probably well into the hex, talking mid-2017, early 2017, before there's any real pressure based on results. So let's just put that out there. Yeah, I mean, there's no. Again, I think people are are speaking more about what they would like to see or what they think sh- should be happening in terms of the the, the significance of this result. But um, you know, Klinsman is in the driver's seat here. He has effectively become the federation. He's indispensable uh, in a number of ways. Um, he has been given the keys, and and he's driving this car. So, uh, and and you're right. The, the 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 second round of Concacaf qualifying doesn't look particularly daunting for the U.S. They've rarely struggled against Caribbean teams in in, in for decades now. So um, I think he'll even have leeway to continue if he wants to continue with the tinkering and the the constant change and and all that sort of thing. He can probably do that even during World Cup qualifying yeah. because they've got a lot of things breaking in their favor yeah. for for months to come. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow night in Pasadena, California. Charlie Bohm joining us on Soccer Morning. Go find him on Twitter, C-B-O-E-H-M, uh, MLSsoccer.com, SoccerWire.com, uh, USsoccerplayers.com. There's good stuff from Charlie in all three of those places, like right this second. I've read stuff, Charlie's stuff over the past week in all of those spots. They're all great. Thank you very much for the time, Charlie. We'll see what happens tomorrow night. Indeed. Always a pleasure, Jason. There goes uh, Charlie Bohm. Good stuff from him. Let's take a break. We have the phone lines open ahead of a big USA-Mexico game. Give us a call, 646-832-3909. We'll be right back. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. 
Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on a Friday edition of Soccer Morning, closing out a big week of shows with a bit of a preview. USA-Mexico, well, not a bit of a free preview, a big preview. USA-Mexico coming up tomorrow night. Biggest game on the calendar for sure. Now, the United States could have avoided this if they had won the Gold Cup, but I don't want to revisit that whole debacle, so... Let's just move on. Ray in Milwaukee, what's going on, my friend? Hey, man. Uh, you know what I like about this rivalry and what I find unique about this rivalry is that you've really seen the development of two soccering countries become globally competitive at the international level and taking both different approaches and getting there and everything else that comes in, into it. Uh, when the biggest myth about Mexican football is that it was a high quality of football for a very long time. It's actually been uh, seen tremendous growth within itself, and I would say this is the best Mexican soccer has ever been. Fair enough. I, I think that there's something to be said for the two countries pushing each other. Maybe Mexico does not get better. Maybe Mexico doesn't take steps forward. Maybe Mexico's talent identification and the number of, of good players they send to Europe doesn't uh, reach this level without the United States pushing them, without MLS coming on the scene, certainly, but even more than that, just the national team uh, rivalry. And, but at the same time, Ray, don't you think it's true that this, these are perhaps a- across the world? I mean, there are dips and troughs for other countries, certainly big ones. I mean, the, the Dutch have taken one recently. They may be eliminated from European championships uh, tomorrow um, or this weekend. At the same time, don't you feel as though these two countries, in a big-picture sense, are two of the more underachieving nations when it comes to this sport? Yes, I would agree. Uh, 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 but I think that's more on player development. I think that uh, if you look at it, uh, Liga MX, is, uh, their answers, uh, their big club teams, I think, have an answer of buying an Argentine player, buying a Colombian player, uh, and even now, somewhat even buying an American player. Um, uh, uh, and the United States is system use, use system development is, is, uh, uh, that pay to play system. And that's always going to limit, uh, your player pool. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And, uh, no, no, there are, there are intrinsic, intrinsic problems in both countries that need to be worked out. And I do think both, both have made big strides, obviously. I mean, it, just in terms of for Mexico, it's becoming more efficient with things and, and certainly the money coming into the game. Well, that's. As you mentioned, maybe bar- buying Argentine players isn't always the best uh, idea for Mexican talent. 
it, it has improved Liga MX and has improved those big clubs right. and allowed them to go down in, into Copa Libertadores and, and be more competitive. And at the same time, the United States is still just trying to figure out how to do this thing. And, and I'll throw it out there again, as I always do. The thing we can't, the thing we don't want to accept is that all of this takes time and we're just not willing to accept that. Right. And I've always said that, uh, that if you look at, there's a reason why the last, uh, World Cup winners have all been European and uh, the style and how they've gotten there. It's such a massive hurdle. These literally guys play all year round at the same team. You're playing literally a traveling team uh, with the Bayern Munich and Barcelona's that what they've been able, what were they able to do with Spanish football and uh, German football? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Messi himself could not uh, carry a team. And I really believe that if Messi was, you know, if this was 86, Messi would have won in Brazil. Right. But uh, um, the, the, that, the, that's just a massive challenge. The, the crucible, for, certainly certainly this is true for Germany, and it, it, obviously it's true for Spain as the, as the 2010 champions. Uh, even if you go back, I mean, maybe 2006 with Italy, uh, certainly an Italy team that, uh, you know, was not overly impressive in their victory. 2002 Brazil, the last time a South American team won. What we're seeing now is, and what you're talking about with these European teams is that the crucible of big club soccer has refined the the talent development in those countries and allowed them to become ascendant national teams. The reason Germany is so we know the reason Germany is so good right now. Uh, Raphael Hungenstein has a book out about it. They they reformed their system, and that, so much of that came through the clubs. I mean. While while we right. look at the U.S. national team program, we want to throw criticism around, or we want to throw praise around, or we want to say this is good, this is bad. Look at these kids. Look at the performance of our U twenties. Oh my God, they crashed out at this level, or they didn't win this thing, or oh look, they're winning. That's only that's only a small. That's it's like a cross section of what we really what the, the real picture is, and that's the individual development across many different places of these players in club environments. And the the problem is. It's not a problem, but it's a difference, Ray. It's in Spain. Spanish kids grow up in their hometowns. They go play for their local club. They get scooped up by the bigger regional club. Maybe one day they play for Barcelona, Real Madrid. Maybe not. Maybe they're just playing for Sevilla or Villarreal. These are all still great clubs. And, and they, they, because they need to, uh, to make money but through the sale of players, because of, of the, the competitive nature, not having the resources to buy players, they need to get better with development. They've created uh, this this machine that pumps out great players. The same thing for Germany with more of a more more of a pro uh, a pre programmed sort of idea. Let's do this thing to make this happen. The United States is in a position now, Ray, and this is just mat- maturation, where so much of the development that happens with our players is either dependent on a very young MLS academy system. Um, a youth club system that, as you mentioned, is is pay per play, pay pay to play, and limits access, and probably doesn't have the level of coaching necessary to get kids where they need to go, or kids who go abroad. So it's this widespread, disparate thing that's happening all across the world. Rather than, and, and again, even look at it like a, like a country like Belgium, they've managed to kind right. of bring this stuff all in house. Not not all of it. There are still kids leaving Belgium at at fifteen to go play in France or or, or Germany or whatever. But they've got they've still managed to find a way to make that uh, make that system within their own country as efficient as it can possibly be with their constraints and it's paying dividends. And I don't know right. I don't know how we get there. I'm not even saying that this is a 
um, that there's a bl- that there's blame to go around because I think this is just something you have to find. You have to work to break down existing walls to figure out ways to get around these problems. Right, I would agree with that. And um, going to the game, uh, uh, when it, a lot of people have said, "Well, you got to go what what works. You got to go what works." You look at the zero zero draw and at the Azteca or the two zero win in Columbus. And you got to go with these players. And I would say uh, that's, that is that is true. I think that's the best way to win. But this is uh, that Mexico team was also a 0-0 draw against Jamaica. Chapalilla Torres' unwillingness to change tactically cost him his job. And if you look at it, he doesn't even have a job right now because of his tactics, in my personal opinion. And then uh, it, the two guys that we talk about the game in Columbus, the two guys that scored that night, Right, are no longer playing competitive soccer. So, uh, you know, when you talk about repeating the past, I think that's something that's, you know, we got to take the good with the bad. And the, the ultimate bad sad thing about this is that Miguel Herrera had never got to play Jurgen Klinsmann with a full roster and with time. And uh, and so it, 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 it kind of disappointed. It's kind of anticlimactic, in my personal opinion. Uh because uh, I love um, Miguel Herrera. Well, we'll see what happens, Ray. I mean, uh, you know, like, there is a there is a transit. The United States is always in a transitional period. It seems. Thanks for the call because because of the country because the country is a, a burgeoning soccer country, not a established soccer country. That just comes with the territory. We're always working through a problem. We're always trying to figure out what our best style is. We're always working through a player pool that is alternately getting better or a, a, a disaster. I mean, Mark Fishkin's on Twitter this morning while I was talking to Charlie Bohm asking if we're in a talent trough. Five or six years ago, most of our starters were re- starting regularly in Europe. Today, not so much. Does that necessar- does, does that equate to a, to a lack of talent or a talent dip? And, and it, I, I, these things are not necessarily going to be always on the up. There's going to be, there's going to be hills and valleys. Although they think that overall the trend is upward, certainly in the in the numbers and the be- the more numbers you have, the eventually that's going to pay dividends, and you're going to get better talent out of it. Um, I think that there's a new generation coming through that's very exciting. We don't know if it's going to deliver, but at least there's something there. So we'll we'll see what happens tomorrow night. But tomorrow might tonight tomorrow night is not a referendum. And you know, look, if it's not going to be a referendum on Lurgan Klinsman, let's not make it a referendum on the state of the U.S. national team program either. Let's go to Daniel, who wants to change the subject. What's going on, Daniel? I'm kidding. I don't want to change the subject. Um, uh, tell me, what's the biggest difference between the, the U.S. national team and the Mexican national team? The biggest difference? Um, I would say culture, probably. I would say coaches. Okay. I, I, I think the U.S. wins this, no matter what. Um, they've got, they've got a, in the past four years, how many head coaches they've changed, you know, because a result didn't go well or a result, you know, didn't go their way. The U.S., they stuck with Klinsman. Like, even if they lose this match, which, you know, would be pretty awesome if they won, go to some Fed Cup. They haven't been to one in years. Well, there's, there's only been, (laughs) there's only been, hold on a second. There's only been one. Since they went to South Africa, yeah, but there's only been one since then. I mean, Mexico went to it. 
um, uh, in in the Confederations Cup in 2013. But that, that, that there's only been one. I mean, it is only a four year. So when you say they haven't been to one in years, that means they missed one of them. But just just go ahead. Well, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what I meant by years. I meant like like literal years. Right, I understand. Um, uh, but uh. I'm sorry. Did I derail you, Daniel? I didn't mean to. <laughs> I apologize. I mean, what what are you expecting? What are you expecting tomorrow night? I'm expecting the U.S. win. I'm I'm expecting, you know, for the U.S. to to bunker down and hit on the counter. That's what I'm expecting. Okay. I, I don't. Maybe I don't know that bunker is going to be the word, uh, Daniel. I, I think that uh, you know they'll sit. Well, well, they still sit, but bunker to me implies. You know, ten guys behind the ball. I don't think they're going to the do bus. that. Uh, I don't think they're going to park the bus. I don't. Yeah, think, yeah. I don't think Mexico is in a position to force the United States to park the bus. In my mind, I, I don't think that that's. I think you're going to see a back and forth game. I think it's going to be physical. It always is. I think it's going to be intense. It always is. I think there will be missed chances. There always are, and I think it comes down to, you know, uh, probably one call or two, a set piece, and uh, and you know who takes that one really good chance. I think it could be 2-1 either way, Is in my mind. Is the U.S. playing a one-man or a two-man strike? What do you think? They're going to play they're going to play a 4-4-2 with Dempsey dropping. So you want to call that a you want to call that a, a, a one striker setup then you can do that, but Dempsey's certainly going to be trying to get closer as close to outdoor as he can with the ball. So it's a two striker setup with the caveat that Dempsey likes to drop deep to pick up the ball. You totally made me lose what I was going to say. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Daniel, and I can't wait around for you. I got Eddie in Brooklyn waiting. Thanks for the call, man. Yeah, no problem. Right. Yeah, take it easy. <laughs> there goes Daniel. I apologize. I'm not trying to kill your thought process. I know I'm not going to have any problems. Eddie, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up? You're not derailing my thoughts. I'll tell you that right no, now. I know that. I know that. Um, who do I root for tomorrow? Man, I think you root for a well. I mean, you can't root for death and destruction, but that's the, the proverbial, you know, uh, sinkhole swallows the whole stadium situation for you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, that, I'm not that sadistic. <laughs> it's just like I, I was gonna root. I, I figured I was gonna root okay. for for the U.S., but then U.S. soccer didn't release Matt Miazga in time. Ah, yeah, yeah. Eligible for Wednesday's game, so now we're going to lose him for an extra game because he wasn't going to play that game anyway. But at least he would have been there yeah, early yeah, enough you know, for I, him to for him to get his suspensions out the way. I, I, I'm I'm kind of back and forth on this, Eddie. I understand why the Red Bulls are upset, but at the same time, they were trying to game the system a little bit. I mean, he's in a team that's still playing in a tournament. Let's not act like it's like I like the tournament was over and they held him around for training camp. And and kept him from playing for the Red Bulls. He wasn't going to play. He was. It was all about serving oh, us okay. one game of a suspension. No, if there was an agreement in place and they went back on it, Eddie, then that's a different story. As I'm saying, let's not act like we're not doing the Red Bulls weren't doing U.S. soccer a favor because they don't really have to release these kids. These weren't FIFA dates. No, no, but but and, and this, it's not mandatory. And, and for me, this is part of MLS maturation. If either MLS is going to serve the interest of U.S. soccer and or U.S. the U.S. soccer program, and it's going to be all kumbaya, we're all in this together, or we're going to have an MLS that acts truly independent. I actually think a, a truly independent MLS is more fair to the fans, like you, and it's probably better for soccer overall. 
if the Red Bulls said we can't lose Matt Miazga, we got the we got a supporter shield in play. We're trying to get first uh, first place in the East. We want home. We need our one of our best defenders. Screw you. Then I, what are you going to say if you're if you're U.S. Soccer or U.S. Soccer fan? Oh darn, they didn't release him when they didn't have to. I mean, somebody at some point is going to have to pull the going to have to pull that move, Eddie. They're going to have to finally say. No, we're not sending you one of our best players at a crucial time because you know what? Our league's not going to break for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I I was openly rooting for for U.S. Soccer to get eliminated early. That way, he could just come back sooner. And I mean, I don't give a damn about the U twenty threes. I mean, no offense. I just I don't care. I care about my Red Bulls and now my players being held there when we had an agreement in place. And it's kind of like now I'm a little bit jaded. I find little reasons to get ticked off to find a rooting interest. I really don't want to root for Mexico because not only do I despise Mexico, but there are a lot of Twitter personalities that like Mexico and I don't, they don't deserve happiness either. <laughs> like, you know, something like this kind of bothers me. So it's like, I honestly, genuinely whoa, 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 don't know who whoa, to root for. Whoa, I gotta, I gotta, can, can, can you please give me a name or two? I, I just, I mean, come on, they're not going to care. Who, who, who are we talking about here? Um, Yes, I knew it. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Man, I love that. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Rosenblatt, I can't stand Ryan Rosenblatt's writing. Oh. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's, 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 there's more than them two, though. There's a lot. I well, mean, he's, I, okay. I'm not Ro- let's, let's be Let's be fair. Rosenblatt is, a, Rosenblatt is a U.S. fan who sometimes puts on the hat of general soccer fan and might have a soft spot for for a good team or a team like Mexico, what, whatever. I mean, I, I want to, I want to besmirch the the U.S. soccer boosting reputation of Ryan Rosenblatt. But I, I get your point. All right, so I, and I was just having fun with that because I know both those guys. Um, you, you as a Costa Rica fan, I, I imagine what you have to ask yourself is whether you care how how Concacaf is represented come the Confederations Cup. If you don't care about the Confederations Cup, then I don't know how to help you. If you do care about the Confederations Cup, then you want the better team that's going to do better in Russia to win this game, right? That's the thing. Who's the better team? I don't know. I have no idea. I, you I, know, like I, I, I could easily, I could easily point to Mexico just based on you know talent. I think that Mexico has more talent, yes. but they're not a team. No, and that's been their traditional problem, hasn't it? Yeah. So, and you know, the U.S. Do I want to see? I mean, I, I'm kind of, I'm probably answering myself right now. Like, maybe is U.S. wins and Klinsman has to stay, no matter what. There's no pressure, and you guys keep regressing. <laughs> right? That is that is devious. I might have answered my own question. That is devious, my friend. Uh... <laughs> I'm looking out for number one. You know that's sort of the that's sort of the inverse of that question that I asked U.S. fans. Like, if you are a fa- if you are one of the people who doesn't think Jurgen Klinsmann is the right man for the job, if you are anti Klinsmann, if you want to put it that way, I don't think it's the way that way to look at it. I think maybe if you just think that there is a better option or that Klinsmann's program is not working, would you accept a loss? Would you just would you even want a loss if it guaranteed Klinsmann getting fired? I I can't get myself around that ever because I'm a, I'm a fan. I want my team to win. But I think people are. I think people think that way sometimes, especially in this sport, Eddie. And that's you're you're kind of like you have the benefit of not necessarily caring either way about Klinsman's future. But you might find a way to reason out. Well, if they win, Klinsman stays, and I don't think Klinsman's good at his job, and then maybe that hurts the U.S. long run, and that benefits my team. 
Yeah, I mean, you guys are still relying on Demarcus Beasley and Chris Wondolowski. Like, I can't see the progression of your program if these are the guys that you're still calling up. At least Costa Rica, like last night, they lose to South Africa, and they've been experimenting for about a year, and we got a lot of younger guys coming up. Uh, Dave Vegas, Venegas became a name. You know, um, Elias Aguilar, uh, you know, just younger, younger talent that we can rely on. Well, Eight years from now, as opposed to, you know, that's, DeMarcus Beasley, old ass, still trotting out Well, there. okay, of course, that's one of the frustrating things about Klinsman, Eddie, is I think there's talent, maybe not left back. I mean, left back's always been a problem for the U.S. There are guys, I mean, you know, whatever you think of Greg Garza, he is a, a left back. Uh, there are guys, but I think there's, there's, there is talent coming. Um, I think there's a gap, though. I think there is, a, like, you know, there's a bit of a separation. Or, or Klinsman's not the guy who is willing to go forward He's done it in a couple of situations, but not a lot. I mean, he's he's obviously started to rely on Jossie Zardis, but you know there are uh, other guys that. I mean, I don't know. It's it's such a it's a, such an odd mix that he's choosing to use in certain places. He's committed to these older players who we know aren't going to be there come twenty eighteen, and in other other spots, he's willing to throw out a guy like a Ventura Alvarado, who not everybody believes in, and is twenty two, and is inexperienced, and sometimes makes a lot of mistakes. I mean, it's very frustrating. I'm kind of glad that he experiments with guys like that. Basically, Yarbrough is another one. Uh, even Zardes, he plays Zardes out of position. Will Fatten had no idea what he was doing. Like even when he gets young guys, he has no idea what to do with them. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's kind of a win-win for me. Yeah, you, you're you're bumming me out, Eddie. Bumming me out, man. At least <laughs> at least admit that that the USA Mexico thing is fun and that that crowd is going to be just legit. Well, yeah, because everybody's overhyping it. It really doesn't mean. <laughs> I mean, people, you believe this? People are ask, actually asking the question, is this game one of the more important games in the rivalry's history? Like, Look, I think, no, every but, but, World Cup qualifier ever is more I, important I don't, than this I don't, game. I don't, I don't the agree. World Cup 2002 is more important than this well, no, game. Okay, 2002, without a doubt, Eddie, that's the most important game USA and Mexico have ever played. But come on, I, even if the Confederations Cup doesn't matter, even if this game is created out of nowhere, conjured up, by CONCACAF officials looking to put some more money in the coffers, at least admit that playing in a one-off situation with something on the line, no matter what it is, I mean, it could be a dollar, and the USA, that's going to that's gonna ratchet up USA-Mexico just a little bit more. It's already filled with that, that, that rivalry element. It's already filled with bragging rights. It's already filled with the intensity. Even if I don't think the state of the rivalry is what it used to be, there's still all of that history. There's still all of that loathing and hatred among the fan bases. I, I think that this is... I think this is up there. I mean, a World Cup qualifier, come on, Eddie, a World Cup qualifier between these two countries is one game out of 10 in a tournament that more than likely they're going to come out high enough in to qualify. I mean, that, I, I, know okay. it, I, I know it matters, right. but, but, and I, but, and I, but I just don't know that, I don't know that it has the same sort of do or die element to it. This this entire thing number one was completely fabricated. I, don't I, I know, I know, I and I just admitted that, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have value in the heads of the people playing well, the no, game. It doesn't because well, what what has what has US done to warrant getting here? You guys won the B team tournament. Sure, but what, that doesn't uh, that three, doesn't two years ago, okay, right? The, and Mexico has won three of the last four. But what so does that have to do? To go to anyway. What does that? Huh. 
Okay, but that but again, that that's sort of secondary to the issue of what this game means in isolation, Eddie. I'm not saying that this is a I'm not saying that this is a justifiable game for CONCACAF to hold. I'm not saying it's got some big value because of the way the Gold Cups happened. I'm not saying that the Confederations Cup is even that worthwhile of a prize. I'm just saying because it does have do or die winner take all, whatever the all is, it has winner take all elements. I think it feels for them and for the fans and that and again you know you want to you don't want to give CONCACAF credit for this but they have created something that does have hype value even if we're never going to see it again I don't know if we'll ever see this again and it might it might not it, you know the game itself might not deliver we might not see anything out of it I, I just don't I, I don't know I don't know it's because the results have been so predictable in World Cup qualifying which doesn't mean yeah, it's probably because yeah you guys are used to the mundane you know the ordinary stuff but even still like I, the foundation that this entire thing was built on I can't get past that okay. I mean even all right, if all right, you go to the Confederations Cup who really cares because you're going to be playing against teams that don't really want to be there no, Spain I, didn't want to be at the Confed Cup in 2013 they they openly admitted that the players didn't want to be I, there. I understand so, that I, I wrote I wrote I wrote something really Eddie I wrote something that's going up at, at US soccer players today that talks about that very thing that this is a this is um you know <laughs> more than anything else it's uh uh, it's a it's a bunch of it's an exhibition tournament built on a bunch of friendlies. I mean that that's essentially what it is. Uh, when we get to Russia in 2017, and we while that's true for Brazil, who's won the last three of them, uh, it'll it'll be true for Spain. Uh, if uh, well, Spain's not. Gonna, it'll be true for Germany. It'll be true for whoever wins Euro next year. It's not necessarily true for the USA and Mexico. And while you can't, you're not going to give them. Uh, you're not going to give them the Mexicans or the Americans, whoever's there tons of credit for winning a tournament and for going deep in a tournament that those teams don't care about, you do have to admit that the fact that USA and Mexico do, do care about that tournament adds to the value of this particular game tomorrow night. That's all I'm saying. I can give you that. Okay. I can give you that. Okay. I just It's just ridiculously overhyped. And when people start comparing it to actual games that truly matter, that mean something, Like I think the real bragging rights is finishing the top of your group and qualifying. Like being being number one, okay. that's true bragging rights. And then doing what you do in the World Cup, those are your bragging rights. Okay, fair enough. To me, this this is just you know this is just fabricated hype. Okay, all right. Eddie doesn't like hype and fabricated hype. Eddie, appreciate the call, man. I don't know who you're gonna root for, but uh, you know, hope you enjoy the game at least. <laughs> yeah, I will. I think I talked myself into it. Go USA. All right, <laughs> because Eddie and Brooklyn get stuff. From him, everybody calling in today, guys, shirt numbers. I don't have them in front of me. I don't know what they are, but uh, those are all regulars, and I appreciate every single one of you people. Thank you very much. Let's uh, wrap this up. It's a good place to end on a Friday. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you check out Rabble.tv tomorrow night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time for USA-Mexico. Myself, Jay Rodius, Jared Dubois will be on the mic at Rabble.tv Covering that game, talking about, what do we call that? Broadcasting that game? We're not. We're uh, uh, rabbling that game. Can we verb that? I, I don't even know. I don't know what the actual, I don't know what you call it. But we'll be talking about that game while it's happening, while we watch it. You should join in. Rabble.tv, look for it. We'll be tweeting out the link from the Soccer Morning account, from the Best Soccer Show account, from the World Soccer Talk account, anywhere else uh, that, uh, that we can make it happen. All right. Am I done? I think I'm done, right? Yeah. I think I'm done. Thank you very much to Charlie Bone for his insight today. Hope that got you ready. Hope you're hyped up. Get your uh, get your snacks or get yourself ready for whatever venue you're going to be watching it in. 
there's the theater thing happening. I don't know. Soccer morning. We'll talk to you guys Monday. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every cursive letter. Tell me why the hell no one is here.